Welcome to today's episode of The Benefit is Love. I'm Scott Tharler, an author, freelance writer, podcaster, and certified up-level coach. And I'm Kenya K. Stevens, a relationship expert, love coach, best-selling author, wife, and proud mother of three. My husband of 27 years, Carl, and I co-founded the Progressive Love Academy way back in 2005. Since then, we've co-authored two popular books and taught thousands of clients how to express themselves openly and authentically, where the purpose is growth and the benefit is love. If you'd like to actually feel heard in your relationships, whether they be with your family, professional colleagues, or romantic partners, you're in the right place. So Kenya, I'm so excited for today's episode, partially just because this is our first episode, but also because I'm a big fan of language. As am I. Yeah. How we express ourselves and the language we choose really shapes our reality. And that language is affected a lot by our parents or whoever's raising us, like how they talk to us and to other people. But culture also plays an even bigger factor. So let's talk about what the language of war is. Well, I created that terminology. It's the language of war because I felt like in all of our relationships, our families, our romantic partners, even between parents and children or parents and our own parents, it feels like there's a war going on in our culture, even between the government and its people and different religions, different factions are forming so rapidly because of our language and how we utilize our language. You know, I'm not talking about English, Scott. I'm talking about how we utilize English with one another in regular, ordinary conversations. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I'd like to share a passage from the Uplevel Communication book that I highlighted when I first read it. Of course, we don't judge war as negative. What we mean in noting the origins of the English language is to show the emotional atmosphere that might shape a few of its components, shaping factors that keep our modern conversational style in debate, contrast, argument, and comparison modalities with few points of unification or empathy. So let's get into some examples of what all that's talking about. Absolutely. I mean, it starts so young. It starts just with the way that we're taught to think about others. You understand when I say war, I mean, we don't see that we are one. We think that there's this other person out there with this competing identity. That's the first thing. And that is so deeply layered into our educational system. Remember that game we used to play in elementary school? One of these things is not like the other. One of these things is not the same. It's like, why are we focusing on finding difference in the first place? Where do we start focusing on finding unity? together. I don't remember such a game. And then we move into our next level of schooling that teaches us to compare and contrast different writers and look at the differences. And you understand that's the whole way that we learn to write, which means it's a way that we learn to think. And nowhere in there do we say what we're looking at when we look at another person is an aspect of ourselves. So if we're judging them, we are judging ourselves. If we're angry at them, we are angry at ourselves. If any of the ways that we feel towards other are not brought back to self, then we lose our inherent unbreakable unity. Yeah. And I know it, it brings up some stuff for me. I remember studying, who's the author? Edward Said had a book called Orientalism, which is basically about the other. And the big problem with the other is that you're assuming that it's not like me. 
And if it's not like me, then you can't have empathy for that person. And so there's a big problem with that. Yes, Marianne Williamson calls it othering. She calls the process of segregating yourself from other and casting them out there as an object to be commented on, that's called othering. And yes, we do lose empathy. I hear a lot of modern new age persons talking about empathy, but what is their process for becoming empathetic again? And then we have maybe a misconception that empathy means, oh my gosh, I'm feeling too many things of what everybody else is feeling. That's not empathy, that's just your feeling. Empathy is actually a three-step process that I hope we can get into in this podcast to practicalize empathy. Yeah. I mean, that's a big part of what's missing in today's communication. So let's get into some examples. I think in the book, I read about subjects and conjugation and how that affects how we talk. It's just a very natural thing that you probably don't think about as you're talking, but this is what we do. Absolutely. What I was sharing in the book was the difference between an African language from Mali called the Dogon language, comparatively speaking about English and how English conjugates its verbs, them over there, those people, every verb has a conjugation that separates it further and further from I, from myself. And some languages don't have that sort of conjugation attribute. And Dogon is one of them. So Dogon, the word for self and the word for other, contains a tie-in called the word T-U. And so Bintu, Hutu, Hertu, these are all words that talk about quote unquote other, but they all contain the word two to symbolize that we are all one. Two means one with the divine. It's similar to the word namaste, meaning I see the divine in you. I don't know an English word, one word that simply means I see God in you. So it's the concept of our unity that's missing from the language and reorienting ourselves, we can see that there could be value in understanding that we're all one, that we're all part of a force that some call God. Because they're saying this and you're saying being part of the divine, I'm thinking it's also tied into nature because I think there's an other in nature that we don't think of ourselves as animals. And we think of nature as something that you go to. Like I'm going to drive to nature and when I'm in it, I'll know it. It's almost like separating yourself from the environment, from nature, from the divine, whatever it is. It's, there's a lot more separation, even in how we talk. Absolutely. How we talk becomes how we think. And I love that you utilized nature because sometimes when I say the divine or God, people think I'm talking about a religion and nature is a much better term to surmise our oneness. Like I am nature, you are nature, and we are all a part of this. We are all nature. So that gives us a oneness and a unity that I really love. But in school, we studied it as an ecosystem. Look at this ecosystem. We're a part of this. And it felt like you could choose not to be a part of that ecosystem, didn't it? Because we're studying it as something so far from 
who we are and what we are. Yes. And how did this come about? What can you tell us about the history, especially of English? I guess we're mostly focusing on English, although there are some similarities with romance languages and how they are structured. But what can you tell us specifically about English and how the language came about that folks might not understand? I don't want to screw up any historical facts, but I know that English is a Germanic language that was created between two warring cultures as they came together in war and started to overtake the other and overrun the other. And the entire language was built around and through people who were living their entire lifetimes in a war. And so as I studied this, then it makes sense that if it's from the minds of people who spent a lifetime or several lifetimes in war, then it's going to be a warring language. It's not going to teach that oneness because that oneness wasn't a part of that culture at that time. And that's just a tiny sliver of history. But I've taken the opportunity to just find some of the roots because sometimes we like to blame the people, Scott. Well, my wife didn't, she not communicating or my children won't communicate with me, or my teachers, they don't treat me well, they don't talk well to me. And we're not understanding that it's not the people, it's what the people know, it's the culture. And it's time for a cultural shift if we're going to unify and heal this planet together and heal our relationships. One thing I've noticed, uh, I'm just thinking about how we use language as a culture today, There's been a lot of talk recently about pronouns and how we express pronouns, but it seems like there's an inherent flaw in just changing pronouns because it doesn't seem like it really applies here to fix the issues of war and the contrarianism. No, and there have been a lot of attempts at a quick fix for Western culture. Let's call African-Americans, or it's politically incorrect to say an actor, let's say actress, or let's say them and they. And these are little quick fixes that really don't dig down to the root of this language of war. It doesn't deconstruct the basis. You understand what the persons are saying when they want to be called them and they or he or she, or call me what I am, but they're not digging down to what I am. What I am is nature. It goes back to nature. What I am is oneness. I am one with you. Who I am is all powerful. So we're not digging down to the real identity that we'd like to get to. And we're saying, well, call me them or they. And it it doesn't feel authentic enough, even still. I keep thinking of the George Harrison song, I, me, mine. Like that's just running through my head because A lot of what we are is just I, me, mine. We're just going through our own little movie saying, well, I, me, mine. This is what's happening for me. And we're not really hearing what others are, how they're perceiving things. Native American languages as well. Just like you said, I, me, mine. There was not a word for mine in a Native American context. So sharing the land with settlers coming in from England was not a thing. It was like, of course, this is... There's no concept of mine because we are one. It's ours. It's similar with the Dogon languages. So I just don't know how many people are aware of this. And I don't think people are relating these quintessential concerns to their problem in their marriage today. So that's what this show is going to be about. We are going to tie this in so we can stop blaming each other for our communication issues, which are yet to be described completely. What are the communication issues? Nobody knows, but we know there's a communication issue. So we are going to dig into those roots, right, Scott? We are going to do that. 
And I think a lot of our language is about good and bad, right and wrong, winning and losing. And where does it seem like that comes to the front? It's usually around this time of year, every year, it's the holidays. So after a short break, we're going to get into the holidays and why they can be a pressure cooker for our emotions. When I think of the holidays, I think of expectations, obligations, agendas, and debates. And these, I can feel my blood pressure rising just saying those words. I love that you named it all. You put it all out on the plate for us to just look at it. Those debates, name that again. I want to hear those again. So expectations, it's not getting things that you want. People always go in with this thought of, well, it's the holidays. I'm not going to get what I want, meaning not just gifts, but things aren't going to work out the way I want. Obligations, where seemingly we have no choice. There's nothing else we can do. We have to go here. We have to eat this. We have to talk about this. Agendas, it always seems like there's a lot of people who come in and it's almost like you're on an interview. They're really just grilling you. And then debates, that's just a byproduct of all the first few. Like By the time you get to actually talking with people, it seems like there's a lot of back and forth. Yes. And all of that cluster, some people might call that a cluster fuck, but that cluster of things, those are not even the roots to the communication issues. Those become the communication issues that are born of a singular root. You understand that othering that Marion Williamson talked about, the othering that keeps us so separate and feeling isolated and frankly, lonely. And loneliness kills and loneliness is a big outcome of the holidays, trying to stay away from this cluster. And if we could get down to the root and attack this thing at the root, where we literally believe that what we are saying to other is really we're talking to ourselves. If we're judging our family, if we're criticizing our family, if we're questioning our family and Aside from what we're doing to quote unquote other, which is really what we're doing to ourselves, the concept that we have an expectation or have a feeling, have an emotion that we cannot express without bringing in this cluster. Because if I express discontent, the way I express it, if the other person feels attacked, then there we go with the cluster. So there's the holidays in a nutshell. Welcome and hallelujah. It seems like much of the kerfuffle, the back and forth has to do with the fact that we don't feel heard. But based on what you're saying, it really sounds like a lot of this is because we're not really listening or we're not realizing that what we are saying is really a message for ourselves. And that's just how people talk. So how can we change that? Well, that's what we will change. That's what we are changing through this up-level system. And, you know, Scott, I really look forward to having some of our listening audience on the show, I would love to settle some of these clusterfucks and do it live here. I think that's where this show is heading because we have to show and demonstrate this new language that we've created and that we both coach. Yeah, that would be great. I think a another interesting thing where people get hung up is in, I guess it's agreement versus perspective. So if you and I are talking and I don't really agree with you, then that's one thing. But can I appreciate your perspective? I can validate you without actually agreeing with you. Yes. 
that's one of the top 10 communication faux pas in the language of war is that people don't feel heard. They don't feel understood. You're not understanding me. I'm expressing myself and you're not listening to me. But what they're really saying is you're not agreeing with me. And it's so disastrous to really believe that nobody's hearing you if they don't agree with you. It's a disastrous lack of connection that ensues when you really think everyone has to agree with your perspective in order to hear your perspective. But again, that's what we've learned in our schools and our churches and our homes, in our communities and our synagogues and our mosques. We just think that way. We believe that if you don't agree, then you're not on my team. You don't hear me. You don't understand me. And that is so untrue. And we can get to the other side of that and really feel heard, even if the other person doesn't agree. That is a skill that we teach here at Progressive Love Academy. Yeah, because ultimately life doesn't have to be a zero sum game. Like I win, therefore you lose. That's not really effective and it doesn't lead to anything good. So I want to make sure that we get into it. What are some of the dynamics that you've personally encountered around the holidays? It seems like there's certain things when we're talking about expectations and obligations that that you might be able to empathize with. I was a young mother, Scott. I don't know when you got married, but I was 21 and I could not express my authentic needs or desires around the holidays. I felt myself being pulled to my husband's house or to my parents and they want to do this, they want to do that. And I just wanted to develop my own family tradition. And it feels like I couldn't get outside of the traditions I'd grown up in and having an obligation to perform those was one of my biggest holiday faux pas. But then when I got to the holiday destinations, there come the debates and the agendas. And it was like a war zone. You travel all this way to see your family, your parents, you're excited. You're like, okay, I did it your way. I'm doing your tradition. And all they want to do is grill you. Why are you doing this? Why, why didn't you do this with your husband? Why are you not cooking? Where is this? It's like, what is this? Why am I here? So that was my holiday in a nutshell. I think one of the interesting things is just in the word tradition. When I hear that, I have a part that makes my heart feel warm and cozy and a part that makes my skin crawl at the same time. It's like, on the one hand, you're obligated to do these things. And on the other hand, it's like the nicest part of the holidays are the traditions. And so it's both. Yep. All wrapped up in a pretty little bow, right? <laughs> it's interesting because what do you do when you have to answer all these questions about your job, your diet, your lifestyle, and whatever other choices various family members inquire about? It's like being on a, either a bad date or an interview, but instead of a chance at getting a job or sex, you're guaranteed stress. Only guaranteed, yes. Yeah. So it seems like people are always up for a debate about anything. So instead of joy or, God forbid, rejuvenation, after these family trips, after the holidays, you're left worse for the wear, like feeling like you need a vacation from that holiday. Right. And there's an easier way, Scott. The debate is not bad. The expectations are not bad. Even the agendas and the quote unquote feeling of obligation is not bad. It's just how do we express those in a container that is safe, 
that does not make anyone else responsible for how you feel. I'm not responsible that my mom doesn't agree with my choices. That doesn't mean I'm doing something wrong. I'm not responsible if I don't meet my husband's obligations. That doesn't mean that I'm doing something wrong. How do we and how do we express these things without bottlenecking ourselves in shame and guilt? That's the stress. The stress is not even the expressions or hearing the expressions. The stress is that we take on the expressions as a form of self-deprecation. Oh, I must be doing something wrong because this person feels this way. And there is the stress. Language created that stress. <laughs> the way that we express those things. Yeah. It's it's easy to blame other people too. I totally identify with what you just said because I'm an overthinker. I, I can overthink anything. And also I have this attachment. I just discovered this over the last couple of years to what other people think. And I always think of myself as just being my own person and doing whatever I want. But honestly, like I do care about what people think and I do want to be validated. And it's not always a good thing to be waiting for other people to validate you because ultimately you have to validate yourself. And so if I show up to the holidays thinking I'm expecting a fight, I'm fearful of certain traditions that I judge that I don't like, and you know, I'm showing up in this fear and anxiety, I'm showing up with that. And I'm bringing that. And if everybody brings that thinking that's like, uh-oh, something's going to happen, essentially, everybody's bringing a bunch of garbage. <laughs> it doesn't make you want to sit around the table and eat dinner. If everybody brought in a big thing of garbage, then it's just not fun. They wouldn't let you in the door. Right. That wouldn't be fun unless there's a huge garbage compactor that we've come and we're going to get rid of this and process this garbage. And that is supposed to be the role of language, except we are not utilizing it that way until, of course, we start to use the up-level language system. So this is a holiday treat for, for folks listening right now. We do have solutions. We do have a new culture in language use. And that's what this show is about. And it shows us how the benefit of all of this can be love, how we can turn all of this garbage, recycle it and make it into love with a few simple tricks. So yeah, Scott, I'm so proud of us for broaching these challenging topics. And we're actually going to be talking about an event that is geared around doing exactly what you just talked about of changing the way we communicate into a language of love. And we will talk about that after this short break. All right. So we're back and we are here to talk about the alternative to the language of war. And let's talk about how we get from where we are now to where we want to be, because we're definitely going to have to discuss some communication concerns. We already discussed one of them is that we don't feel heard unless people agree with our stances. That is just a very typical communication concern. Another is that we are literally blaming others for the events that happen all around us every day. And we are expressing that through language and we expect that language to be received. You know, blame and shame is never going to be receivable by others. They're going to take a defensive stance. I don't care if they actually did it. They're going to defend themselves to the end because 
really when you're blaming and shaming others, there's a physiological change in that other's body. The pH of their blood changes. They're experiencing a physiological pain. It's funny you say the pH of the blood, because as you were talking, what it brought back for me was when I was in college, I took a bartending course. And part of that is alcohol awareness. And so what do you do if somebody is intoxicated and you don't want to serve them? Everybody in the bar could know that this person should not be served. But if you point at them and say, hey, you're drunk or hey, I'm not serving you, that's going to start an altercation potentially. So you need to come up with ways of languaging that show that you care about this person and that they have done nothing wrong. So we're going to be having an event coming up actually this Sunday. I am so excited. Everybody listening cares about this because truly this is the root and this is how we can save our culture. We all see it going down. We all see the schools failing. We all see the kids failing. We all see the government failing. We all see these groups and factions not getting along. And then in our own homes, all of this is reflected. Come on, we want something new, right, Scott? We do. And this is something new that we're going to be unfolding over the next few weeks here on The Benefit is love. Definitely. As we start to talk about like how things can be different, I just want to read another quick passage from the book, Uplevel Communication. And it goes like this. We'll do that by interrupting the typical dance of language, analysis, interrogation, singling out and pointing fingers and rearrange our word use to create an authentic way to communicate that always references which part of the consciousness is speaking. I read this book, I guess it was a year or so ago. I highlighted it before I had any idea that we'd be doing a podcast. This really speaks to me. And it seems like this is exactly what this event, How to Win at Family with the Holidays, is going to be all about. Interrupting the dance of language and really digging into that. Yes, it will be changing our tenor, our tone, even the arrangement and the string of words, changing the rhythm of the language and changing the prefaces. So yes, and a good example, the debates at the holidays. It's not that we're saying don't debate people. It's simply how do you preface that conversation? Do you just walk in and shoot your opinion at the other person like a gun? Or do you walk in and preface the conversation by just what you said, identifying who is speaking? And that is something that we won't have time to get into tonight, but over the course of this podcast, you'll learn how to preface the conversation appropriately. And I think that's great. I love me a good debate. And I am definitely guilty of that. I love argument, but in the classic sense, in the true logical, philosophical sense of the term argument, I just love a premise and then logically arguing back and forth. And I think there's something fun about that in small doses and in its own context, but not every conversation has to be that. I think some people, when they hear argument, they assume it's something bad. So I love that that you're going to be breaking down communication issues that continue to plague us. And this isn't just about analyzing. This is about actual remedies. Actual steps. Yeah. Frameworks. So that's the good part. We're not here to just say all of language is bad and we can't fix it. There are some very actionable, concrete things you can do that aren't as hard as you'd think. 
Oh, they're very easy, right, Scott? Sometimes we think of problems as being insurmountable. Cultural concerns are insurmountable. No way. We are creative enough, powerful enough, smart enough. We can create frameworks that really shift everything. But you can't start with the premise that this is not fixable because then you're self-defeated. So spoiler alert, part of this is to help you identify the mistakes that you may be making. I know it's always easier to focus on the other people who are involved, but part of this is about taking ownership and admitting, I actually do these things and I'm interested in figuring out how to fix them. Yes. Well, shall we go on, Scott? This is a great introduction to a journey that we are going to take our audiences on over the course of this podcast. I'm so excited. And I'm so excited to partner with Scott. Y'all don't know, Scott really was a guy, when I met him, very logical, very ordered, very concise with his wording. It felt like he'd be a person who was not willing or desirous of changing such an ordered, meticulous language style that he's already developed over the course of many years as a writer. And here he is shifting his language style and supporting himself and the others around him in having a deeper mode of communication. And I just, I love it. I love watching your journey, Scott, too. I appreciate you saying that. I don't think anybody who knows me would ever accuse me of being concise. But one of the things also that I was thinking is in my journey as a writer, I think of myself as being a critical thinker. And critical is another one of those words that it could be taken one of two ways. It allows me to do what I do. So being critical is good. Being critical of others isn't as good. And so it's both a tool and a weapon, depending on how you use it. Absolutely. I remember the story you told about your daughter and her feeling ridiculed by you and how certain simple shifts, up-level shifts, supported you in deepening with her, being able to express the feelings you were having about what she was doing. I think it was about her cooking cupcakes in the kitchen and your criticism of her process and how reframing that utilizing the up-level system really supported your relationship with her. Well, it goes deep. It really makes you think, but it also makes you feel. And it's that combination of getting in touch with what's going on in your body. And I know when I would criticize my daughter, she would come out thinking, I'm just going to make this cool cooking project. And I love the idea of that but she wouldn't follow the directions. She would do it on her own and there would be a huge cleanup. So what's really important here? Is the cleanup a big deal? Is raising a daughter who is creative, who wants to initiate things like this? Yes, that's it. And I found myself focusing on the wrong things. Uh, I just had concerns like, oh, I don't want her to make a mess or I don't want her to make the wrong thing. But the whole thing is as you're cooking, you figure out what works and what doesn't work. And I think that's a metaphor for what we're doing with language and with relationships. This isn't about necessarily just how to avoid problems. It's more about reframing, but also digging in. And sometimes it's like with a massage. Sometimes in the massage, it just feels good. And sometimes it's going to hurt a little and you might be sore afterwards, but ultimately you are more relaxed and more like one with yourself. And look at what you just said, speaking oneness with yourself. You know, when you really drill in to the actual criticism, the words you were using and really seeing that those are words you might direct to yourself. You don't feel that you're this. And so that's what you were projecting out to her. 
and it's useful. You found it that it's not even a negative thing to say. It's just you weren't utilizing it for yourself and understanding that you wanted to make changes that then you were projecting onto her. So I love that you are in this study with me and I love that you are my co-host here. We gonna have some fun. We are. And I remember being on a call. It was actually a workshop with another mentor, Genevieve, and you were a guest on the call. And I don't know what it was. I just felt something like this is going somewhere. I don't know wherever this is going. I'm in. I don't know what it is. I don't know how I'm going to use it in my life, but I'm just in. And so the fact that now here we are putting together this podcast and sharing this with more and more people, I'm just, I'm very excited. Like I said, same here. So we have spun our web. I hope that everyone has enjoyed our first installment of The Benefit is Love. We will be back every single Wednesday with a new episode. And you will come deeper and deeper into the journey of unraveling the culture of war, the language of war within your own life and building the budding new tree of life that will be sustainable for years to come with your family, your relationships. And if you're listening to this episode right after it comes out, the event that you're going to want to attend is called How to Win at Family Communication this holiday season. It's happening Sunday, November 20th at 5 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Mountain, 7 p.m. Central, and 8 p.m. Eastern. And if folks can't make it for that particular hour, will a recording be made available afterwards? Absolutely. The recording will be available afterward and the links will be here on Podbean and wherever you find Progressive Love Academy. Sounds good. So remember, there's no charge to attend the special workshop, but you do need to pre-register either to attend or to get the recording. So you can go to the Progressive Love Academy website. That's progressiveloveacademy.com. Or if it's easier and you happen to have a good memory, you can go to the vanity URL bit.ly slash uplevel holiday. That's bit.ly slash U-P-L-V-L holiday. And like Kenya said, just to make it easier, we'll definitely put a link in the description. And when you get to that landing page, You're going to put in your name and email so we can send you the Zoom information and you'll be all set. Is there anything else you want to share about it? No, just that this is the time. We are ready. We are ready to change our culture. We are ready. Everybody is fed up. Let's do this. All right. So we'll see you next Wednesday for the next episode where we'll start diving into the Progressive Love Academy tenets. If you don't know them, they are the foundation for the whole up-level system and Everything that follows, all the truly authentic expression, processing of triggers and healing, it's all tied to these tenets. And if you already know them, maybe you've read the up-level book already, we're going to be going into greater detail about them to make them even more clear and relevant. So join us for that. And until then, remember, the purpose is growth. The benefit is love. Kenya K. Stevens is the co-author of the books Uplevel Communication and The Nine Expressions of Love, both of which you can find in print and online. To see Scott Tharler's other work, please go to his Linktree page, that's L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash The Family C-T-O. And if you enjoyed this show, be sure to follow it and like it to help others find it and enjoy it as well. 
The Benefit is Love is co-executive produced by Scott Darler and Kenya Stevens, with original music by DJ D. Spence. We would also like to thank Sanu Stevens for all her help and expertise. This podcast, copyrighted 2022, is the intellectual property of the Progressive Love Academy. All rights reserved.